Do you know, do you know that God, that Jesus is here? But do you know? Do you know that Jesus is here? I I think sometimes we just, I don't know. I I think our greatest need over and over again in my mind is to know that Jesus is with me. You know, Moses' cry, right? I don't want to go unless you're going with me. But, But I think because we don't always know it, we get filled with fear. And we're afraid to live our life, to, 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 to live it freely. Because we're not sure. Is he really here? We, we need to know and experience and feel the presence of God. We need to understand. And this is the hope that we have. The hope we have is not just some Jesus who lived 2,000 years ago and died on a cross and then supposedly maybe, I don't know, rose from the dead. The hope that we have, the gospel presentation is not just about tomorrow. It's not just about the future that I can have eternal life someday. What people need to know is that the God who created them loves them and is with them. With them. Every step, every moment of the day. When we know and feel, when we know and feel and recognize the presence of God with us, we can do anything. Knowing that he's by our side. We don't fear. We don't fear death. We don't fear tomorrow. We don't fear anything. Because his perfect love drives out that fear. And his perfect love is right here. We need to be aware of Jesus If at any moment you are not aware, you're missing something. You're missing it. This is what we can have. Not just some cognitive understanding of God, but a real sense that he is with us. A feeling in our bones, but also an ability to hear his voice. Not necessarily audibly, but we can hear him. That we can actually see him at work in the lives of somebody else, but also in my life. I can't believe the things that he's done and how I'm changed, how he's moved me and transformed me, and he's made me something that I never thought I would be. But we can also begin to smell the goodness of God, smell the truth of God, that he is real, that he's not just some figment of our imagination, but he actually is there, that we can smell him. And that we can taste, taste his amazing goodness. Not because we earned it, not because we deserve it, not because we're amazing, 
but because he is. Amen. Okay, let's preach a sermon now. Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we have this amazing and maybe unbelievable story of the beginning of things. That God, in the beginning, right? That God showed up and he made all of this, right? He, he created all that we see, everything around us. And he, more than that, he created me and you. He created us. He created humans. And he created us different than the rest of creation. You know, he waited for the best for last, right? You know, uh, the, you know five and a half days, all these other amazing things that we see in our world. I mean, I, I, you know, that picture in my backyard of these double rainbow, I mean, beautiful. I, I mean, I'm just amazed at what, of God's creation and how gorgeous it is. But then the pinnacle is me, us, right? Humanity, right? That he created us, that this was, that everything else pales in comparison to God when he created humanity, Adam and Eve. He made us in his image with value, deep value, intrinsic value. Not, not value because we've done something great, but just value because he created us and he loves us. And he gave, gave Adam and Eve some instructions. He said, hey, you know, you're amazing. You're great. I really love you. You're awesome. But let's go do something about it. Let's, let's be fruitful and multiply. Let's reproduce yourself. You know, make more of you. I mean, I made the original and I'm going to have a hand in all other ones. But you have a hand in it as well. So let's make Let's make some great people. Let's make some great just nations. Let's make some, let's do it, right? <laughs> and then he also said, and, and understand that you rule. You rule, dude. You have authority. But because, I, because you're the pinnacle of creation, everything else in creation, don't worship that. That's lesser than you. That's lesser than me. Don't worship that. No, no. I've created that for you, for you to use it and to maintain it and for it to bless you. And, to, and so, so understand that you rule creation as well, that, that you have authority in this world. And then chapter three happens. <laughs> you know, everything's all beautiful and great and perfect. And we blow it. In Genesis 1 and 2, we have no knowledge of sin. And we have no understanding of the consequences of, the sin, of sin. But in chapter 3, everything changes. And so we see things go from bad to worse as Adam and Eve, they just, you know, ate of a tree they shouldn't have eaten from, but their son takes someone else's life, his brother's life. And then it continues to get worse from there 
as others continue to take the lives of others, and it just becomes horrible and ugly, and the world is filled with sin, and we see in Genesis 6 that God shows up and says, yeah, this is really bad. There's nothing but sinfulness everywhere. Sin has just corrupted everything. And so he calls Noah and says, Noah, I'm going to wipe everybody else out, but I'm going to save you and your family. Build an ark so we can start over. So we get to Genesis 9. It's after the floody, floody. (laughs) And it's interesting that we see some parallels here. As God is starting creation over in a sense, what we see in Genesis 1 and 2, then all of a sudden in Genesis 9, we see it repeated. And you can see that God is like, okay, we started, thought things were going okay, and then boom, it went bad really quick. And so now now you guys know something about sin. (laughs) You guys know something about the consequences of sin. Uh, You you get an idea of kind of who I am a little bit more, and now we're going to restart things with that knowledge. And so listen to the the, the, the similarity between Genesis 2 and Genesis 9, verse 1 to 17. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I give you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you, be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Then God said to Noah, to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you. As many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Praise the Lord. And never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. 
The familiarity in these words, similar to Genesis 2 when God is talking to Adam and Eve. The first, be fruitful and multiply. It is true that God has created us to multiply ourselves, to be fruitful. He's given us the power to create. It's kind of surprising, right? I mean, in some sense that we actually have this power and we actually ever really think about it. I think seldom we do. That, that actually that, you know, we have within us the power to create another human being. That's pretty amazing. That's pretty awesome. Like, I mean, God made us out of nothing, right? He kind of grabbed the dust of the earth and whatnot and kind of made it. But we, you know, kind of using what God's given us are able to reproduce and we should reproduce. This is what God is instructing us to do. It is one of the great joys of life is to have a child. It, it, it is amazing what happens. I mean, it's amazing the power that a child has, right? I mean, who, who doesn't like, like babies, right? Babies are awesome. I, I don't like little kids much, but babies, <laughs> those are awesome. No, you, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's, it's a, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have another one in my family. I'm a grandpa soon. Whoop, whoop, yes. Uh, and do I look like a grandpa? No, not really. I know. Um, <laughs> But having kids is a great gift, you know? It's a great joy. It's a, I'm always amazed. Like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> you go to a restaurant, right? And, 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 you know, you're just having your meal and everything is fine. And, and maybe it's just kind of one of those, you know, kind of, oh, yeah, I'm just kind of doing a meal. It's not a big event or anything. But then you look over and the table next to you has a baby, right? And everything changes, right? You're like, oh, hi, Look at this smile. Let me smile. You know what I mean? Saying, I mean, kids are awesome. They're so cool. They are so fun. They just bring life to the world, right? Literally, but also just joy to our hearts. Children are a blessing from God. Psalm 127, 3 to 5, right? May your quiver be full, right? Like God is saying, this is, a this is like, this is not a curse, right? We'll get to the curse here in a minute about childbearing, but it's not a curse to have kids, right? The curse is, you know, other things, but it's not that. Children are a blessing. It's a blessing to reproduce, but it's also a blessing to adopt, right? I mean, kids just in general, right? We, you know, some of us, unfortunately, we can't have kids, right? I can't <laughs> because I'm a man. But I mean, we, I mean, just reality, some couples can't have kids, right? And so what do you do? Is it, does that mean that, okay, they can't enjoy this blessing? No. Praise the Lord, we have adoption in our world, right? That we can bring people into our life, kids into our life, and they can change us. And so it's a blessing to have kids, like biologically have kids, but it's also a blessing to adopt kids, have them in our house. I know as a youth pastor, I mean, it's just being around teenagers. It's amazing. Like, it's fun. I mean, they drive you crazy at times, but it just creates energy, right? And they have a perspective about life, you know, that's not jaded yet, <laughs> right? And, and they're just willing to try anything. And, and little kids, their faith, when you talk to them about who Jesus is, right? When they've grown up in the church, it's amazing the things that they will teach us if we'll just listen. This is why I'm committed to being a multi-generational church. I want to have kids in our service. I want to have kids around us. I don't want us to be all segregated all the time. I want us to be able to see the kids because they have something to teach us about who God is. 
We have something to teach them too, but we, if we just think it's a one-way street, we're missing something. So children are a blessing. Now, our culture is discouraging having kids these days. They are saying that, that kids are, you know, we shouldn't do that. We, we got too many kids out there. I remember the pressure even my wife and I had when we had our third, and we started talking about having a fourth, and we started getting like, oh, uh, that's, that's a lot of kids. You're going to have four? I don't think that's cool, right? You know, you start getting that pressure, and maybe they don't say it directly, but you're like, that many kids, Joy, Aaron, really? Um, so, so... You know, our world tells us, hey, you know, stop right after two. That's enough. That, but, but that's not what God's word teaches us. It says that it's a blessing. You know, why are we so nervous to have kids? Is it overpopulation of the world? Really? Okay, like God gives us this instruction, go forth and multiply. And then somehow we're going to like over multiply and over. Come on. This is God's earth, God's creation. We're going to be okay. Let's have some kids. <laughs> It is good and right for us to want to have kids, but I also wanted to say, too, that there should be no guilt if God calls us to be single or if we never get the joy of having kids in our family. There is no guilt there because the reality is, is this instruction to multiply is not just biological. It's also spiritual. We can have a lot of spiritual kids, way more than we can ever have biological. That we can enjoy the joy of having kids if we pour our life into other people. Now, the impact of sin is real, right? I mean, the curse of the fall. It, it can make that, you know, having kid thing a little bit scary, the the, the pain of childbearing. And now, thankfully, in our world today, right, we've got some uh, medication <laughs> that allows that to be maybe not so bad as it used to be. But it's also, it's not easy having kids because of sinful nature. Because our kids exhibit that sinful nature so early. It's amazing. I remember my one-year-old junior, his first kid, and he's like, my doctor tells me he's manipulating me. I'm like, he's one. <laughs> How does that happen, right? And he's like, yeah, he's manipulating you. Oh, dude, it's on, bro. <laughs> Sinful nature is there from day one, and it just, and so it's hard. But, but get this, you know, sometimes we can just look at, uh, we got we to gotta bring, we got to recognize New Testament, Jesus, right? This is Old Testament, chapter 9. God is telling, you know, Noah and his family, be fruitful, multiply. But look at what we see Jesus say. And maybe the most unlikely place of all, Matthew chapter 28. <laughs> what? Yeah. What does it say, Matthew 28? Let's take a look. All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Go, therefore, and multiply yourselves go therefore and make disciples of all nations this is not just uh, it is biological we need to have kids 
But it's not just that. We need to make disciples. This is part of how God has created us. He's created us to be people that not only receive the blessing of Jesus, but share the blessing of Jesus. We are to multiply ourselves. Are you multiplying yourself? Are you sharing the love of Jesus with others? Certainly those who already know him. But is there anyone in your life who doesn't know Jesus? If not, what are you doing? Why? Where is Jesus at? Jesus' heart is for the lost. He's out off of his couch. He's out of his church building. He's out there on the streets and he's sharing the love of his love with people who don't know him yet, who haven't received him yet, haven't experienced the full relationship that they can have. So this is our calling as well. We are called to multiply ourselves that we would be fruitful. John 15, 5. That we would bear much Fruit And how do we bear much fruit? By staying in the vine. Knowing Jesus is here. Next we see in this passage the, the idea again that uh, we see in Genesis 9 that all of creation is going to bow to humanity, to Noel and to his family. That we again have authority. God has given us, and we see it in Genesis 2, but we also see it in Genesis 9, to rule. He's given us the responsibility to rule and to be responsible for creation. We are to tend and to multiply creation. We should make creation more fruitful. As population grows, we should be able to get better at cultivating food that would be able to feed those people. Right, And this is still a battle in our world today. Uh, how much of it is actually because we don't have the ability to do it and how much of it is just politics, I don't know. But we still have a lot of people that are starving in our world. Why? This is not the way it's supposed to be. It's not because of overpopulation. It's because we're not tending and multiplying God's creation the way he's designed it to be. We need to continue to develop it and to use it. Recognize that creation is for our benefit, that we would reap the fruit of creation, that we would have food, that we would have shelter when it rains, that we could stay warm, that we could stay cool if we need to in the summer, that it is there to bless us, God's creation. And so we utilize it, but also we need to manage and maintain it that we would ensure the longevity of creation. We don't just abuse creation. We don't just strip it all of all of its stuff just for no reason at all, but we are careful with it and we develop it and maintain it and manage it because God gave it to us. It's not ours. It's like anything, right? I mean, anything that we have, our talents, our gifts, our abilities, our money, our homes, our cars, our families, they're all gifts from God. They're not ours. And so how do we treat things that are gifts? How do we treat things that are from someone else? We treat them with respect and love and honor and care, right? So there's the same with creation that we want to recognize that it's not ours to just rip and destroy and to do what we want with. No, it is God's gift to us. So how do we manage that and maintain it and utilize it for its purpose? God blesses us, and here's kind of a tag to this. He blesses us through work, through creation, yes, but work. We are called to work creation, to spend time in creation and to develop it, right? It takes effort. 
A well, think about a well-tended landscape, right? How beautiful that is. I mean, we have gardens that we travel to, to go see, just to go see this garden because we're like, oh my gosh, all these plants and all these flowers and all these trees and all these amazing things that got, and then when it's been well-maintained and it looks beautiful and it's well uh, landscaped, we, we just enjoy that and honor it. It's a, a, a way that God blesses us, just like when we do a, a good job. When we finish a job, I'm like, man, that was really good. When I get done with the sermon, I'm like, yeah, that was great. Thank you, Jesus. I made it through, right? You know, I mean, whatever. But when you get done with a job, right, you just kind of like, yes, job well done. You just feel good about that. It makes you feel good. This is the struggle with retirement, right? That we no longer have that feeling at the end of the day, like I accomplished something, you know, that can be the danger. So we need to make sure we continue to be engaged in life and involved in doing something and and working in some way because God has made us to work. God has made that for us so we can, so he can bless us. In our world, it seems that ruling has been reversed. It is now the creation that rules us. This is what our culture tells us. That creation really doesn't need humanity. Matter of fact, we're ruining everything. And so we need less humans and we need to, you know, them to stop building all these things and, and innovating. No, you need to just, just get back, get out of the way, because if creation was just left to itself, it would be way better. This is a direct violation of God's word. No, creation needs us. God has created us in part to tend his creation. Humanity is not the problem. Sin (laughs) is the problem. And we see the impact of sin on our work. In in Genesis chapter 3, part of the curse of the fall is toil in our work. That sometimes work can be really monotonous and boring. That we can really sometimes just wonder, why am I even doing this? What is this all about? which is why it's so important when we see in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians where Paul says, look at we're doing everything for the glory of God. Like you, you can be a slave, he even says. You can even be a slave and still be doing it for the glory of God. There's meaning and purpose no matter how meaningless the job that you're doing. If you're cleaning toilets, you can do that for Jesus. It's something in the kingdom of God, right? But if you're just cleaning toilets and it's not for any, then it gets really kind of nasty and gross and I don't want to do this ever again. And we all don't want to do that. But if we have Jesus, if Jesus is near, if we understand who Jesus is, then all of a sudden that work takes on something more than just work. But again, this is Old Testament. Does it relate to New Testament? Is, it what, is this for us? Are we still in this position? Yes, we are. And it's repeated again in this amazing passage in Matthew 28. Again, I read it already, verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority... And heaven and earth has been given to me. And then as it goes on, and I give that to you. We, this, this authority piece is again communicated in the Great Commission. That God has called us to share the gospel with all people. That we are to, excuse me, that's, that's the next point. I just read the wrong point. 
move down my line. So God has called us to have authority in this world. That we don't just have the physical authority over creation, but we also have a spiritual authority. That Romans 5.17 says that we will reign with Jesus. That we can reign even now in the kingdom of God. That we will get to sit beside Jesus as he reigns. That, that our authority is delegated authority from him, but we are reigning along with Jesus. So we must recognize that we have been called and we've been given authority. Next, we see this passage in Genesis 9. It begins to talk about the lifeblood. And talk about how, you know, you can't take human life. That if you take human life, that, you know, your life's going to be taken. And it's, it, it, he's talking about the fact that humanity is valuable. You know, I think there's maybe some tension at this point because uh, it's been a long time since Genesis 2 when we recognize and hear that everyone is created in the image of God, both male and female. And so we see all this sin. We see the murder of Cain, but we also see the murders of so many others. And then we see God wipe everyone out. And so maybe the tendency for Noah at this point is to say, well, life really isn't that valuable, right? I mean, well, you, know, you just kind of wiped everybody out. So is it really that big a deal? And God's like, no, no, no. I want to make sure you understand that all humanity have been created in the image of God. They are image bearers. They are valuable intrinsically valuable. They were created on purpose and with purpose. God is affirming that all life is valuable because it has been created in the image of God. Now, again, sin has marred that image. It's not the perfect image that we had in Genesis 2. Sin has marred the image, but it hasn't destroyed the image. And so God is continuing to drive home this reality for Noah that life is valuable. We need to protect it. Don't just take it. Uh, and, and I think we need to recognize this as well in our day, that life is valuable. All life is valuable. I could probably do a whole sermon on this topic, but I'm just going to touch it a little bit. And you're going to go, oh, you should go more, but I'm not going to do it. So that's all right. But euthanasia today, I mean, we are in hard times we are able to keep the body alive for years and years and years, maybe beyond it would ever have been lasted before. And as a result, I mean, that's a good thing. It's a blessing. But as a result, now we're struggling with these mind issues that we have where people, are, as they get older, they begin to struggle with dementia or different things. And so we can oftentimes then just jump in and say, well, you know, they're really not there anymore. Their minds are their body. And we, be, we, just so, we, we can be too quick to say, let's just end this life. Now, I want to be careful that those decisions are hard and they're between you and Jesus. But I think we need to be reminded that all life is valuable. The disabled child is valuable. We don't just get rid of it because it's not healthy, right? If God is the one who has given life, he is also the one who takes life. Who are we? May we be like David. <laughs> May I never touch the life of the anointed, right? I mean, should we not take someone else's life? Should we be careful with that? That we would honor that and recognize even a life that to us seems with, to have no value, that God is the one who gives value, all of life is valuable. We just need to be careful, I think, in this realm. 
And I, I get the tensions there, and, and, and it's hard. The impact of sin, of course, has created these tensions, right? The impact of sin has, has caused, you know, birth defects, has caused, you know, sinfulness to lead, that leads to birth defects. We've, we, we're struggling with all kinds of things uh, in just physically that make it sometimes hard for us to see the value of life, of certain life, for sure. God's created life. And even though life is damaged by sin, he still has a purpose for it. I think in part, maybe large part for us, especially as Americans, is we need to develop our theology of suffering a bit. Because oftentimes, as soon as life gets difficult and hard or painful, we want out. It's no longer got value anymore. The amazing thing about this passage in Genesis 9 again is that we see it come to fruition in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19. Go therefore and make disciples of who? All nations. All people are valuable. All people are valuable, no matter where they're at in the world and no matter who they are in the world. We can struggle with this big time, right? We can struggle with the enemy that we have. We can struggle with the, uh, with the, you know, the, the abusers in our world. We can struggle to think that somehow that life is not valuable enough for Jesus to die for him. But all life has value. We as Christians who have received the amazing grace. Here's the problem. We don't know our own sin. We just excuse our own sin too often. And so we need, I think this is especially a struggle for those who have grown up in the church like I have. I mean, I became a Christian when I was five. You know, I just, I'm a good kid, right? I'm just a good person. I've never done bad things, right? You know, this kind of mentality, like I am for sure not like one of them, right? Kind of thing. No, 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 no. All sin is ugly and evil and destructive. All of it. Even the simplest of things that we do. Why do we give ourselves a break, but no one else? And when we understand our own sinfulness and the fact that we have received the grace of God simply because of his love for us, not because we earned it, then we can look at the abuser and go, okay, yeah, I mean, I'm not really much different than them. Maybe my sins were different, but I'm not much different. God died for them too, right? Jesus died for them too. So we recognize that the life in Christ calls us to share the, co- the gospel message with everyone because everyone, every life is valuable. Finally, we get to uh, the, 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 the promise that Jesus gives. God gives this amazing promise to Noah and all of creation. Notice over and over again in that section I was reading, all all, 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 over and over again. So this is a promise, not just to humanity, but to all of creation. And the promise is simple, that he will never destroy all of creation again with a flood, right? Despite our sinfulness, he's not going to destroy us anymore. This is an unconditional promise. 
Right before, when back in Genesis 6, we see God show up and there's sinfulness everywhere. And so, G, so God is like, okay, I'm going to destroy it all. I'm going to take it out. We'll grab Noah. Noah, build an ark. We're going to save you and we'll start over with you. But the rest of you are done. After the flood, even though sinfulness is going to continue to increase, matter of fact, what do we see just a little bit later in this chapter? Noah sinning, his, his son Ham sinning, right? I mean, there's a sin, I mean, it's already there, right? And, but God's giving us a promise, and it's an unconditional promise. He knows that it's going to get even worse, that sinfulness is going to continue to have its way in his creation, but yet he promises, I'm not going to destroy you guys again like this. You don't have to worry. You don't have to worry when the rains come that it's gonna, this is going to wipe you all out. This, that's not what I'm doing anymore. I'm promising that I'm going to continue to sustain you. The interesting piece here is that we see that, uh, that now, after the flood, humanity is no longer naive and innocent like they were in Genesis 2. Humanity has started over. And but now we have this greater awareness Greater awareness, first of all, of the holiness of God. They now understand when God said, don't eat of the tree. And if you eat of the tree, you will die. Now they kind of get it. Oh, I know death now. I know die. I know what that means. And so they have a greater awareness of God's holiness. That he's like, he's serious. Like, you know, this is, you can't do that stuff. (laughs) But they also have a greater awareness of his amazing grace and love. He could have and probably should have in our mindset wiped out all of humanity. But he didn't. He chose to start over and now he chooses to promise that he is not going to wipe them out again, but instead that he's going to be with them. The rainbow is a constant reminder of God's holiness and grace. Is that what you see? Is that what you see when you see the rainbow? I mean, I, I, I think we need to remind ourselves of this, right? This is important. That when you see the rainbow, the first thing that should go through your mind is, wow, God just wiped out a whole lot of people. Wow, he really is serious about this sin thing. Like, it's bad. Oh, man. Oh, I'm sinful. Uh, And then, oh, my gosh. He loves me. He's choosing to continue to be in relationship with me and pursue relationship with me. The rainbow is a constant reminder of God's holiness and grace. And as we're aware of God's holiness, it ignites in us a healthy respect and humility. But then as we're aware of God's grace, it motivates us to full surrender. And this leads us to the final comparison to Matthew 28. In verse 20, Jesus says, And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. 
<laughs> Do you know? Do you know that he's near? And because he's near, this is amazing. Because he's near, we can love our enemy. Because he's near, we can rule with, with honor and respect. And because he's near, we can actually multiply ourselves. All right, Laura, worship team, come on up. Do a song, and then I'll be back up with a passage to share. Heavenly Father, I just ask your spirit to move in this space right now, Lord. I just ask that you would come and allow each and every person in here to experience your presence. Not just to know it in our heads because your word tells us, but to actually feel it in our hearts, to feel it in our bones, to know that you are here. Not like here because there's a bunch of Christians around us, but here because we are here. You are with me individually. Lord, we need to know this. We need to understand this. Lord, this is what ignites our courage to be able to go and share the amazing truth of your word, the gospel message, the love of Jesus with the world. And Lord, I just ask anyone in this room that maybe is not experienced, doesn't know experientially that presence of God, that, Lord, that they would come forward and they would spend some time in prayer with our elders or with me, Lord, don't let them satis be satisfied with just the head knowledge. Lord, may none of us be satisfied with that. May we seek to know you, both in our minds and also in our hearts. Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written for your sake we are being killed all day long we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered no in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us in Jesus name amen God bless and if you'd like some prayer this morning please come up and uh, we'd love to pray with you